Philam, the subject that I'm going to talk about is what are you doing? What am I doing? So this, this has been my challenge for the last couple months. You know, God's just stirring my heart up again into this way. So Mahatma Gandhi, um, I say his name different because I am Indian. That's how you say his name, Gandhi, not Gandhi. That's real Western. So Mahatma Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So just a little bit about my story. So when I first accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he was just so gracious to Mira. He placed me in a church family that loved me good. I mean, they just loved me. This is my story. My background before Christianity was Hinduism. And the only memories that I had when I finally got saved, the memories that I had of Christians were that they were unkind and harsh. That's all my memories were of them. And when I did get saved, God placed me with some real Jesus lovers. How many know what I'm talking about? Just some real Jesus lovers. Um, Older women in particular. They took me under their wings. They guided me and, you know, helped loving me into a closer, more personal relationship with Jesus. These ladies made time for me. They opened up their homes to me. They took me out to lunch at their expense. I was just 20 years old. I had enough money just to get to church and nothing else. But I was so desperate for the word of God in my life because it came with great pain. Um, they invited me into prayer meetings. And in these little prayer meetings with all of, I mean, like, listen, when I got saved, all of my friends were like 60 plus, except for one person. Because I just knew that there was wisdom. My grand, I've told you all this before. My grandma, you know, my grandmother, she raised me. And there's just wisdom. So I don't ever feel like the old should ever be neglected because I'm a product of them taking the time to pour into me. So they invited me into these prayer meetings. And in these little prayer meetings, that's where my life change began to take place. They taught me about being accountable, not letting me off the hook with Anything that I was doing or trying to do, I mean, they were in my face. Hey, girl, what are you doing? Where are you going? Who are you hanging out with? I was like, I'm going here. I'm going there. And it was just accountability because my mom's right here. She wasn't saved yet. She came later. All right, later. Um, So were it not for women like my Helen Middleton, Pat Bailey, Doretha Brown, Mama Mama Edie, my life would not be the same. They taught me how to see God. They taught me how, you know, It was like to love other people. They taught me how to repent. And when I messed up, how to just come to God. These women were there. Remember what I said about small groups? They were just there to help me out. I wanted to change because of what I saw in them. Not because of anything else. I just knew that there was something better because their life was producing so much fruit in my little 20-year-old life. And some of these, this was for the first three years that I walked with Jesus. And some of these women, they are still some of the most treasured friendships that I have in my life. Even today, two of them have passed on. The other two are very much in my life every week. Get, hey, how you doing? It hasn't stopped. So tonight I hope to share with you something that will bring encouragement and inspiration to you. That will show you that you too are called to serve others. You're called to share his word. And you're called especially to share Jesus' love with every person that you come in contact with. He takes pleasure in us when we turn our hearts towards the benefit of others. Not only does it bring him great joy and show who he is to others, but 
I'll bring something to you that shows you that he blesses us in return. And that's not why we give is to get. But if you're doing something that's in God's will and his way for us, you're just automatically you're going to partake of that blessing. I feel like my head's turning like this tonight because I like looking at people when I'm talking to you. So our greatest call, our greatest call in life, your call and my call, and I've got it on, you know, with the word declaring it to us is to make disciples. Here's where we're going. So we have been commissioned by Christ Jesus himself to, in Matthew 28, um, verses 19 through 20, the Amplified reads, go then and make disciple of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the command here is for all of us to go and disciple others. But here's where we, here's where we get kind of tripped up because we just use it. You know, if you take scripture out of context, it's not going to bear the fruit that it needs to bear in our lives. Um, the word go here is an aorist verb. So if you look that up, it's a, it's a past tense verb that has no end, no duration to it. So it's always going. All right. So it doesn't stop. So what Jesus is saying is that he, the emphasis is not on the going or go. The emphasis is on make disciples right? What can we make disciples? Let's talk about this. So the imperative, your actionable item here is that we are needing to disciple people, right? So as we're going through our day, working, studying, shopping, eating, whatever it is that we're doing, this was, this is Jesus's words to us. We are to be alert, to be very much aware, be vigilant, be all in wherever you're at. Very intentional that we want to disciple others. So disciple here, um, again, it's a verb and it's not a noun. Okay? We cannot make a disciple no more um, than I can make a car or make a cake. I cannot make a Christian out of you. You cannot make a Christian out of me. But what you can absolutely do is live in such a way like these women lived before me that they made me so hungry for what they had that I, in turn, just wanted to just be all in for Jesus. It's simply doing what we have been commanded to do, and I submit to myself and all of us that it is our mission. I love how the message paraphrase reads this. Um, the same verse, it says, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God, and here's Jesus, he's saying, God, the Father, authorized and commanded me to commission Mira, you, and everybody else seated in this room tonight, marking them by baptism, or no, I missed a part, commissioned you, go out and train, so I have some emphasis on here, I'm not sure if it's on there, Um, go out and train everyone you meet, both far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then instruct them in practice of all that I have commanded of you, and I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day after day, and it goes on infinitum. He never leaves us in this process, but he's saying, I want you to go out there and train people, teach people, lead people, do this. This is your, this is your reasonable call. This is our profession. So the lack of positive impact that the church is currently having in our culture today is quite evident. It's as though we have lost consideration of these last words that Jesus commanded us. Um, Church, we're living in a day that is worse in the day of Noah. We are living in a day that is worse than the day of Noah. We now have children that are little preschoolers and kindergartners that can select for themselves if they, can be, if they should be called a boy or a girl. Come on, y'all. Our neighbors, our world, it's in trouble. 
It's in trouble. This is a day that we're living in. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for less. He didn't say that the children were that way. He said they were doing gross and foul things. But now we have a culture that's raising our little ones. That should grab your heart. It would seem that we have become so self-absorbed. We have come to a place in life where we think of our convenience. What's in it for me? What will it demand of my time if I stop to disciple someone? What happens when I try to show others away and they reject me? And so on. We have all these little what ifs and what about this and what. And it's really, it's how does it concern me is our grain of thinking. And it's so sad. Um, we have become what I call a selfie kind of world people. We're in a selfie world. I was sitting at um, Chick-fil-A. This was just right at the beginning of the year. And I'm just sitting in there, you know, because sometimes when I'm, the kids, I don't know where my kids are. You know, I try to cheat a little bit and get something for myself on my way home or something. Just a treat so I don't have to buy for four people or six people. You know, you know mamas and dads, how you do. And I'm sitting in there with my little zero-point nuggets. And um, I'm a Weight Watchers, y'all. So I was sitting in there, and, and I'm eating my nuggets and getting it ready. And then I'm like, what is that person doing in front of me? They're like... And like, I'm telling you, like a hundred little shutter shots are going off with this young person so absorbed into the selfie world kind of living. And instead of, you know, our, our thought process, instead of thinking of how will fulfilling the Great Commission affect me and what it will cost me, we should be asking ourselves, what will happen to these people if I don't fulfill the Great Commission? What will happen to them? There seems that there has become, you know, we've come into a place in the church where there's no urgency for soul winning. There is no urgency that today may be someone's last day. Um, I can't remember if it was Ann and I were talking, and, and I've listened to several teachings about hell, and hell is a real place. And one person said it's like it's hell is literally the surface of the sun. And then Pastor had showed me this, you know, um, earth or this volcano in um, Nicaragua. And you can see it just bubbling behind the person. And I just cried when he showed me that. I just wept because I thought, God, if that's what hell is like, no wonder the rich man in hell was begging Lazarus to go dip his hand in water and put it in his mouth. And please, if you can't come to me, go tell my brothers so they wouldn't end up here. Where is the urgency, church? So God wanted you and me on his team that's why Jesus himself said in John 15, 16, it says, he said to us, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Okay? And that's really good. When I, when I think of God's love for me, I was like, how could you choose me? I chose you. But you got to go, Mira, and produce lasting fruit. So I don't think that Jesus, you know, would walk past anyone in a crowd. I don't. And that thought in, my, in the last decade or so, and you can ask my kids when we go out, I mean, I'm looking for, I'm looking for somebody. Because I work in a church, and sometimes I feel like I can't get out the doors. But we want to equip you so you can help us to do that. You're an extension of us. Um, but I, I slow my pace because I can walk really fast. The guys knew. You saw me in Atlanta. They saw me chasing that whatever you call it in the airport in, Atlanta, in Alabama. Was it Alabama or Atlanta? Atlanta. And I was just like going. I looked around, and they're like back there. I can go really fast because I'm tasked. But I don't think that Jesus would have ever walked past anyone in a crowd. I believe that every moment he had here 
in his earthly ministry. It was so intentional, so committed. I believe that he was so excited to come in contact. If you and I were there during his time, he would have been so excited to pass by Anne. He'd have said, Anne, how you know me? I know you, Anne. I just believe he would have done that. That he would embrace people. He would touch people, that he um, would smile at them, that he would cry with them, he would make time for them. I think that he must have felt like he was having contact with the love of his life for the very first time. First kind of date thing, I'm beside them. I do. And I think, you know, I have no other human words to say than he was just so stinking excited. And, And the thing is that Jesus said, I cannot do anything that my father doesn't do. I came to do what Father did. I came to say what he said. And that makes me think Father was so stinking excited to see us, to touch us, to be around us. Right? So his instructions to us is to do as he did. And we too should aim to be just like Jesus. He was reachable. He was approachable. And he was available for people. Reachable approachable and available. Think about that for a minute. So now that we have discussed our purpose, so what is our purpose? It is to disciple. Okay, so now that we're talking about our purpose, we come to, is it an option? It's not an option. We have become so fattened that, and have come to the place of taking things in our lives for granted. We take relationships for granted. We take, you know, things like that. For my example here, I've got like, if you lose a quarter, how much time do you go spend looking for that quarter? How much time? How much time did Jesus, when he referred to those three parables, you know, the widow, the widow who lost, she swept all over, looked, turned over the house inside out looking for that one, right? Um, but when we wake up in the morning, our thought pattern is geared to, what am I going to have for lunch today? What's for breakfast? I'm guilty. I've woken up some days, when am I going to fix the kids for lunch? When am I going to fix them for breakfast? You know, I go in there, give Elijah some choices, and and my thought should be, how can I invest in him? That was just this morning. Um, There has to be more to living for God than simply getting into the gates of heaven and eating a good meal. There are millions of lost people in this world, and somehow or the other, we fall into the trap of thinking somebody else is going to get them. There's an evangelist or a preacher or a message or a billboard. Something's going to get them, but I don't have to be concerned about that. Um, Jesus was very clear in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke that he would leave the 99 in their safety. He would. He would just leave them and go and find that one. He desires that we are with him to do the same thing. So we all have been in Matthew 18, verses 12 to 13, and Luke 5, 4. These are, you know, where Jesus is saying that we have all been called into the ministry of reconciliation. We have all been called to be discipled. We got to be taught and to teach others. We have not been called to simply make it into the gates of heaven. Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20, it's now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, emphasis on follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Second Corinthians 5, verse 18, but all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ 
reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, emphasis there. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that by word and by deed, that we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 in the Passion Translations, we are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ into this world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. We are his appeal, uh, his appeal. Our words are supposed to be his words. The Father is using us to make a direct appeal to the world. He's depending on us to do our part to win others to Christ. Winning people to Christ, it's not just for the super Christian, super charismatic. Um, it, is, it is not for just a pastor or for church leaders. It's not for just the, the evangelist. It's not for that. Or for those who just have a platform or a stage to share from. It is for all of us, all of us to do this together. There have been so many times, you know, since I've been in ministry, and even before that, that I've heard, you know, people just say to me, you know, Mira, if only I could preach a sermon, or I'm an ordained minister. Did you know that I was ordained? I have the gift of teaching. Um, yet when I, you know, in conversation, and I'm real, you know, if you, if you know me, we talk real. And I'll say, but what are you doing? You're called to do this and you're, you're committed to do that. But what are you doing that's effective right now? What are you doing? Um, you know, if I wait for only moments that I have a platform and I'm not looking for moments when I can consistently all the time engage a person and make time for them to pour into their lives on a continuous basis, how much impact do you really think that I could have? Do you think that me standing up here for 30, 40 minutes to teach you something is, is just enough to just say, hey, we're equipped and we're ready to go and yay, and I've discipled you? No, it's not that. You know, I, I've had to say to myself, Mira, stop looking for the perfect moments, perfect opportunities to share what God's placed inside of me. Um, I've learned to love and teach. You know, I love to teach the word of God. I do. I'm, I'm just, that's one of my gifts. I love to teach it. And where I landed with that was teaching in children's ministry. That's where I started. And I, will, I would not, let me tell you, without those women who poured into me and without teaching in our children's ministry, I would not have learned the word because it forced me to study. Even preparing for this sermon, I'm not kidding. It was like 20 plus hours that I put into this. That's aside from my 40, 45 hour work week and taking care of my family because we don't want to just give you something that's half tail for lack of a better word. Um, so I wanted to teach and pour my heart out, and it was the kids that I found you know, a way to do that. Um, and I have kids now that are doing the same. All four of my children are teachers. All four of them are teachers. And that's what they're doing. They're serving in our children's ministry. Uh, we cannot make a difference if we are unwilling to jump in and roll up our sleeves and just do something. Um, some of us, you know, have the gift. Some of you, you have some precious gifts of teachings that's laying dormant inside of you. It is. And you've got a word that God's placed inside of you that he hasn't placed in anyone else. But you've got to get it out of you. Because we don't want you standing at that judgment seat one day and he's saying, you know, Anne, where's what you do with that? We don't want that. For Denise, we don't want him to ask you that. Solomon. We, we don't want anyone to be asked that question. Um, it was so heartbreaking this past week when we went to the public school to do our outreach. 
the principal was walking with me as we were pushing the cart, and, and I said, how's it going this year? You know, are you ready? What else can we do? She said, you know, she said, this year, she said, man, we are on top of it. We've got four male teachers. Inside of me, my heart just cringed. Here's elementary school where kids are forming their identities, where they're getting to choose now in certain states if I'm going to be a boy or a girl, little babies, our little elementary school age kids. And we've got four men that are working in there. That broke my heart. Because you see, and then we ask ourselves, why aren't our sons learning how to be men? But I've had four, and they were sitting under the teaching of a man of God. And they learned how to get involved with other men so that they can learn the word of God. We need men and women both to take their place to disciple others because we're losing the battle. I don't mean to get emotional. Um, The generations that are coming up are waiting for someone to show them the way. They're lost. They're lost. So if we took the time, if each of us took the time to seriously disciple people, right? Just one person for a period of six months. So my brother, Sean, help me with the math. You know, some things can be too simple for me to do. And Sean's just like crazy brainiac over there. Thank you, mama. (laughs) Um, Crazy brainiacs. I did the math. If we took time to disciple just one person, one person for six months. I take Diana and I say, Diana, come alongside me. You know, and, and it has to be mutual. There, there has to be some, I've got to care for her first and show her that I care before she even wants to know what I know. Okay, people don't know how, they don't care how much you know. They want to know that you care for them. So I got to have that relationship and I decide, okay, she decides it's mutual. And I take Diana for six months. And then after that, I launch her and I take another one for six months. So within two years, if I take two people, or one year, two people, right? Six months at a time, stay with me. Over the course of 20 years, I would have affected over 4 million people if they did the same. When I did that, and as I was studying for this, it broke my heart. I was like, God, what have I been doing for the last 24 and a half years that I've been saved? If we all did that, in less than 16 years, we would have evangelized the world. The Apostle Paul was one man, and he reached all of Asia, not some of Asia. It's in the Bible, y'all. Look it up. He reached all of Asia because he, his whole desire was to know him and to make him known. All right? So in Matthew 4, verses 18, I ask myself, remember Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I asked myself this past week, God, am I truly following you? Because I haven't been doing the fishing that you've been calling me to do. You see, if Shane and I were trying to, my husband's name is Shane, if we were trying to have a baby, and we're not, you know, but we were trying to have a baby and nothing was happening, and say like eight years passed by and no baby was coming, I would have a reproduction problem. I would spend money high and low every which way that I could go to find out what was wrong. I'd go see a doctor. I'd want to know what's happening. If we're not seeing fruit and we're following Jesus, we've got a reproduction problem, all right? We might want to start asking some questions of God. God, what is your plan for me and how can I fulfill it? Um, Multiplication and reproduction, it's a kingdom principle. God hasn't called us to have small churches. He has not. Look how many seats are empty tonight. 
He didn't call us to have small churches. Why are churches small? You know, small church mentality, that is anti-Bible. Go read the book of Acts. Read chapter 2. Every day they multiplied. You know, within weeks there were over 5,000 people because something real was happening. He didn't call us to do that. So I have authority to tell you tonight that in the word of God, he is all about multiplication. But he didn't call, here's the thing, he called us to disciple people. He didn't call us to make converts. He didn't call us to make converts. I'm not trying to make a Christian. I'm trying to get someone to have a life change. Like my life was changed. Amen? Okay, so it's not, you know, when Jesus, it's like the parable of the fig tree in Luke 13. This is not in my notes, Sean. Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. The tree had the appearance of everything good. So when Jesus walked up to the tree expecting to get fruit, and he went, reach his hand, he's like, there's no fruit on this. You hypocrite tree. You look like you got everything on the outside, but you're empty. And he cursed the tree, and it withered up. I don't want to be that tree. I don't want to be the fig tree. Retirement is a good thing, beloved, but retirement's not in the Bible. Doing my time and sitting back is not in the Bible. In the Bible, after we retire and when we have done our time, we're in the grave. It's in there. God, you know, it's great that you've retired and you've done your time at work, but you have to continue to be busy while it's day. I love Devel Durham, Bo Durham. Everybody calls him Bo. Bo is such an example. He's an exemplary human being and a remarkable man of God. And I will brag on my brother. He's one of my biggest cheerleaders in this house, always encouraging me. But you know what I love about him? He's always investing in my son's lives and my daughter's and our guys on staff. Everybody around him. He is right now. He's retired and he's out. You know, I can't remember the organization, the name of it. It's on the tip of my tongue. He's there. He's training in and pouring into young people because he knows that it's not. You know, he did his time in the service for us. That was his career. He's retired, but he's got something else to do because when we're retired, you know, just last week, um, no, three weeks ago, I got a call. Hey, you know, so and so, it's bad. The cops had to come pull him out of the house. He's been drinking a lot. The man is in his 70s, y'all. Retired, had nothing to do, got a bad report from the doctor, has become an alcoholic and a drug abuser, prescription pills, beating his wife, kicking his wife, and now the marriage after over almost 30 years of marriage. Now they're going like this in your 70s? Come on. It's not in the Bible. You got to stay busy and doing something for kingdom work. You know, I'm raising my children, but the goal of raising them is for them to do ministry. Okay. Wherever they are, if they're a doctor, bring hope to someone. If you're an attorney, don't be a lying attorney. You know, train them up for ministry and the works that they're doing. So sharing the gospel on a consistent basis every day, it's a necessary and integral part of our maturity and our growth in Christ Jesus. Loving God and loving others must become the focal point of our mission here on earth. So as we engage the law, so we're discipling, now we're getting ready to engage. We do four things with this. We keep Jesus's love, God's love alive for the lost and um, for those that are lost. So we keep God's love for the lost alive. D.A. Carson has said that one way we preserve the gospel is by working hard to pass it on to others. Think back on your life, what it was like without Jesus. Think about your salvation and what great sin and bondage God has delivered you from. He has delivered me out of death and darkness, y'all. Death and darkness. Given me a hope and a future. And God's love for me alone compels my heart to do the same for others who are on their way to hell. Romans 10, 14 through 17. um, But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? 
And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one that can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? How is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do this? That's what scripture exclaims, a sight to take your breath away, grand processions of people telling all of the good things of God, but not everybody is ready for this, ready to see and hear and to act. The prophet Isaiah asked what we all ask at one time or the other. Does anyone care, God? Does anyone care about me? Is anyone listening or believing a word of it? The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ, unless his word is preached, there's nothing that anyone could ever listen to. Jesus came to seek that which was lost. So are you, am I, are we truly following him? If we are, um, we would know just how deeply he loves us, how fully accepted we are by him. We would know how completely forgiven that we are. And we would know that we are complete in Christ Jesus. We would want everyone to know the same thing that we know, that while Jesus was on the cross, even seeing us thousands of years now, thousands of years, in the messes that you and I have been in, he still chose us. He still chose to give his life for us. And we would want to bring this exact love, a replication of this, a knowing of this to everyone that we come in contact to. And if we, and we also need to be mindful, um, this is in my, my personal notes here, that we bring his love to those who have not yet experienced it and how we do that, all right? Um, we don't want to be like the Christians Gandhi was talking about, you know, I like your Christ, but not you as a Christian, Mira. Um, He felt this way because he witnessed the treatment of missionaries during his time. How they just downgraded Hindus because of the filthiness of their belief system, their temples, and all of that. I can't blow a blowhorn and tell people about Jesus when I'm criticizing everything about them. I cannot. So let's be mindful of how we bring this. I can't, you know, if homosexuality is a sin, but does God love the homosexual? Absolutely. Absolutely. So me telling them what they already know, what good is that doing? I can't win them. They know that they're doing wrong. They do. That's why they hide. Years ago, they hid. Now it's just come out because we're living in a day that sin is just progressing and it's getting worse. Um, You know, so we, we want to impact the world like Jesus did. Jesus was a friend to sinners. Um, He met them, he engaged them, he made them hungry for what he had, um, hungry for the Father's love. But let me add this, he was a friend to sinners, but the Bible never said that the sinners were his friend. Okay, God has not called us to engage the way of the world and take their pattern of living. He said, let our pattern be a way for the world to live. Okay, so we are not to adopt the ways if we befriend sinners. It's not that you're going to do exactly what they're doing because you're not witnessing to them. What difference would it make for them adding Christian to their name? If we're living just like them. So engaging the lost not only keeps his love for the lost alive. It will also increase our understanding of the truth of God's word. Um, Philemon 1 through 1 verse 6. You can read that scripture. Um, for the sake of time I'm watching our clock as well. So sharing with the lost can be challenging. Because of their point of view. Or because of their belief systems. But as we engage those around us. And as we discuss things that are not understood. By those who are searching for the truth the more we will gain understanding of the truth. You'll have to look for it. 
Does that make sense? You cannot explain. You don't even know what you know until someone asks you about it. You don't know um, about grace until you see someone who's walking and is hurting and doesn't know that God loves them and forgives them. You can't explain that to them until you see their hurt. Does that make sense? And chances are, if you don't understand grace, you're going to go look for it in the Bible. Or you're going to find a spiritual advisor, someone who's in the word to help you to do that. So that's what I mean, that it will increase your understanding in the word of God. It will push you to look for answers for them. The third thing that it will do, it will cause you to grow in your love. Loving God and loving my neighbor is my highest calling. The Jesus said that these are the two commandments that the laws and the prophets they hang on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing like seeing a life transformed. Nothing compares to seeing someone broken come into the realization that God loves them and bids them welcome into the kingdom of God. There's nothing like praying for someone and watching healing manifest in their lives or seeing prayers answered. Nothing will move you more to the throne of God If you see someone that you love is hurting, that you would not want out of that love and compassion to go to the Father for them. It will help you. It will grow you in love as you minister to the lost. Um, I have several scriptures listed there. Um, One of my favorites is 1 John 4, 19 through 21. And though you are going to love, love and be loved, first we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. And if we won't love the person that he can see, how can he love a God that he can't see? The command that we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. So if I love others, I will be demonstrating my love for God. A child who's being, you know, potty trained, eventually they're going to come out of the diaper, right? If they're still in the diaper and you're potty training them, you're not potty training them. So if we're being trained and equipped to walk in love, the evidence would be, come on, walking in love. You'd be showing love to others. Our behaviors will change. Um, we will start considering the the you know, the benefit of others. How is this benefiting someone? Like the other day I was griping and walking around. I got to clean the pool. I got to clean the house. I got to do laundry. I got to do this. Nobody's helping me. And then the Lord just allowed me to just go on in my stinkiness of thinking. And then I get to the kitchen sink, which is where he really talks to me. And I'm looking at my little sign that says, not today, devil. It's all over my house. Not today, devil. And he said, when was the last time you did something for them? But Lord, I'm doing all of this. Now, when was the last time you did something? You see, when you do something for someone that you get nothing in return for, that's love. That's love. That can't do anything for you. That is love. Right? Um, And the fourth, it will deepen your faith. Preparing ourselves to share our faith causes us to rely on the Holy Spirit. It pushes us to pray and to intercede for others. Um, we have, you think about moments when you have met someone, you know, like going, me, it's, it's always going to the store and then the kids are standing there like, oh my gosh, is she going to talk to someone again? Yes. If it warrants it, yes, we're going to make time. And sometimes I'm in a hurry. Sometimes I'm in a hurry, but you know, those moments when the Holy Spirit's just, he opens up the conversation and you go there. And if you ask me to pray for you, I'm going to wait to see those prayers manifest. My faith is being strengthened because you're asking me to pray. Because when I pray, I'm like, God, you know, I'm waiting to see how you move. It will deepen your faith as you're trusting God for your loved ones, for lost ones around you, to equip you. I promise you it will deepen your faith if you try. Amen?
Um, so our action points, or remember that you are representing the Father. Be loving, be kind, show people how you can walk in love, even when they're disagreeable, even if they disrespect you, even if they don't want you, you can say, God bless you, however you choose to say it, shake the dust off, but still believe God for people, y'all. Don't get mad at someone, you know? Last night I had a great opportunity to get mad, y'all. I'll tell you about it later if I have some time. It's really funny what happened. Um, So some action points for you. Pick, take a pick. Purpose, interest, and care. P is purpose. Purpose. Start every day with a clear purpose in mind. There is someone who has been spiritually assigned to you. Ask God to show you. Interest. Be genuine and show interest for others you come in contact with. Remember, Jesus would not walk past them. Ask yourself, would he walk past them? Um, How am I paying attention to them? Be fully present. Listen to people. And um, how about remembering people's names? Quit confessing that you're terrible at names. Jesus, the, the Bible has, look at all these genealogies in the Bible. He begat this one and this one begat that one and that one begat this one. Was God, um, did he care about names? They're all over the Bible. Let's care about each other's names. Go the next step and quit confessing negative confessions. Remember names. It shows that you're interested in people and care. Offer care and compassion for others. Don't try to fix them. So I'll submit to you again. What are you doing? I've asked myself the question, Mira, what are you doing? Remember, beloved, that we are all called to know God to walk freely, to discover his plan and his purposes for our lives, and that we're all called to make a difference in this world. We are called to reach the lost, disciple others into the kingdom of God. Jesus himself, remember what I said? He made himself reachable, available, and approachable. Here at Victory Church, our heart's for you. So this is pastor's heart. I can speak on his behalf when I say this, is um, that we want you to help us to reach people. We want you to help. Invite them to church. Invite them to a church. Just get them somewhere. Get them somewhere. Um, We want for you to help pastor them when they come through these doors. Stick around and help us to do something with them. We want to see lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people trained, and we want to see trained people involved here at the ministry of Victory Church. We are to imitate Jesus and all that he has done. And as we do this, we will again keep his love alive for the lost. We will grow in the knowledge and the understanding of the word of God. We will grow in love for God and towards others, and it will absolutely deepen our faith. If today was the last day Today was the last day that you would see and hear the voice of someone you loved. What would you hold on to? Would you not hold on to the very last words and want to capture that and bottle it and do something with it? Beloved, his last words was to us, his last words. Let's, let me challenge you and myself to keep his words afresh in our hearts tonight. His last words were in Matthew 28. He said, beloved, Father has authorized me and he commanded me to tell you and commission you to go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of living, marking them by baptism, 
in the threefold name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Instruct them in all that I have commanded you to do. Practice it with them. And I will be with you to this day and every day after. Every day and on and on and on.